you root for all of UA's opponents to play well to help the strength and schedule factor? No. No. I, well, I've never rooted for Utah one single day. <laughs> I'm fine. The vocal cords, not so much, but I'm glad to be back. Friday, yeah. September 24th. It's not normal. I don't know what the difference is. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Our next guest is a guy who's 2J as he's, well. He's 2J. Joey Johnston, South Florida radio sideline reporter. I talked to him earlier today, mainly just to uh, you know save Spencer's voice here. Thank you. To get to know the South Florida Bulls a little bit better, here's that conversation. All right, Joey. Welcome to BYU Sports Nation. Great to have you, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, 2019, BYU goes down to Tampa, loses that game. Uh, we're going to see some familiar characters in that play. Jaron Hall, maybe Baylor Romney, we'll see. Uh, it's been two years. What, if anything, uh, do you take away from that game that could have anything to do with this game this year? Um, I think mostly it's just the USF's confidence, knowing that they have beaten BYU with, with maybe some of the, the same players in, in the same places. So maybe they can draw on that, but the the truth is a lot has changed for USF. Certainly, a new coach, a lot of a lot of new players. So um, you know, it's more of a more of a distant memory than something specific. But maybe just the ability to know you can compete and beat a team like BYU can provide some confidence. And it's interesting. We were just talking uh, about the show uh, on the show that since that loss, BYU is nineteen and three. They really turned a corner since then. So. That's been this sort of uh, benchmark interesting game in BYU recent history. Um, I do want to mention that uh, Coach Jeff Scott was asked about snow on the mountains earlier this week by a media member. There's no snow quite yet, so you don't have to bring a long jacket. You didn't, I, I hope you didn't pack one. I did pack a long sleeve uh, thing <laughs> because, uh, you know, if it's in the 60s or, or 50s, uh, me being a Florida guy, we'll need a, a little something on my arms, but I'm looking forward the invigorating air because we've had a stifling, steamy, rainy summer like we always do. So this will be a literal breath of fresh air to get out and, and be in Utah for sure. Yeah, it'll be, and it'll be great to have the program this far west. I know it's rare to come this far, so it'll be, uh, it'll be entertaining. Okay, when you talk about the lateness of the game, too, this is a 10-20 Eastern kick. Trust me, it's late for even BYU in the Mountain Time Zone. What impact, if any, physically could that have on the South Florida players? Well, you know, obviously you've got to prepare for it, and they have prepared for it. The, the, the players are in place. They left yesterday, uh, so they are, uh, they are already in Provo and um, trying to get their body clocks arranged properly. And, uh, you know, not only that, uh, when do you eat, when do you practice, when do you rest, and by, hopefully by game time they'll have all that sorted out. So they are making efforts to make sure that they can adjust to, to the late time. I think for, for fans uh, back home in the East, uh, uh, time zone. It's going to be definitely interesting. Game tipping off uh, at ten twenty uh, at night. Uh, they're not accustomed to that. It's the latest starting uh, USF game on East Coast time in, in the history of the program. So it's definitely a late night with USF kind of thing, where maybe the college kids will get together and wear their pajamas and watch the game or something like that. But uh, definitely unusual. But uh, they do have they do have and have had time to adjust to it. So, but you know, just adjusting to it and actually feeling good about it and having your body right, game time are two different things. So, hopefully, they'll they'll take the necessary precautions. 
Yeah, college kids up late at night. Uh, that happens. Uh, it's just different when you're having to tackle someone, right, I guess. Let's talk about Timmy <laughs> McLean, the quarterback. So, got his first start. He's a freshman, uh, you know, did well uh, against Florida A&M last week. What do you expect from him? Because I know in the game notes they said, hey, you know who else uh, first started against uh, Florida A&M? Quentin Flowers, who was amazing a couple years ago. Yes, and, and, uh, and they both wear number nine. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, you have Quentin Flowers, uh, people called him Q. That's easy to figure out, Quentin. Uh, guess what they call Timmy McLean? His nickname is also Q. Hmm. You might think, why is, a guy, why is a guy named Timmy McLean nicknamed Q? Well, his middle name is Jacquiel with a Q, and turns out back in the day when he was playing youth football, I guess they referred to him as uh, Jacquiel, and uh, some people couldn't pronounce it, and the coaches just said, hey, we're just going to call you Q. And it stuck. <laughs> and, you know, you, you, you hear people say, hey, Q. And, and you think, why are they calling Timmy McClain Q? But that is, that is literally his nickname. So a lot of parallels with Quentin Flowers. And not exactly the same type of player, but uh, some similarities. I mean, he, he definitely is elusive, can move with his feet, uh, probably has a better arm than Quentin Flowers does. He's all, Timmy is also a left-hander. Uh, he, will, he will look a lot like a like a Michael Vick physically in terms of the the, the the mobility and the setup and the way he delivers the ball uh, from the left hand uh, it will remind you of that uh, and his ability to uh, to elude tacklers and make plays and keep his head about him is, is really exceptional for a true freshman uh, you know again it's very early in, in his career but he certainly has the makings of a guy that has the potential to really really be very very good. And another positive thing about him is he has a great mind and a great attitude toward the whole thing. He's very unflustered. He's not going to be a jumpy freshman. He, he, he is wise beyond his years. His father refers to him as an old soul. And he is the, he's one of those kids that growing up has studied quarterbacks. He reads about them. He watches films on them. And one of his favorite quarterbacks is Bart Starr which seems wow. to make no sense because Bart Starr retired from the NFL three decades before Tommy McClain was born. <laughs> but he's one of those guys that studies history, studies quarterbacks, uh, and is a, is a film room, meeting room, junkie kind of kid that takes great notes. So, you know, being, being a good quarterback matters to him and preparing to be a good quarterback matters to him. So those are all very positive signs for a guy that's kind of just starting out. Bart Starr, consider me impressed. That's going deep into the pockets of uh, NFL history in the 60s there. I like that a lot. Okay, I love a good nickname. So big play Weaver, Xavier Weaver, uh, top 10 in the country at 15 yards per punt return. A punt return is a rare thing nowadays. And then BYU has a punter who put up an 83-yarder last week in Ryan Rico. So that matchup could be a ton of fun. <laughs> it could. And, and Xavier Weaver also is, is, is doing great things at wide receiver. Uh, they probably need to figure out more ways to get him the ball because he's averaging a, a high uh, yardage total in a, in a very small sample size. But I think we're going to look you know, to see him targeted more and more. The, the, the crazy thing about the punt return is it's not something he really has done much or at all. Uh, literally a couple of weeks ago before the first game, uh, whoever they had back there getting punts, they weren't happy with him uh, and – the coach just kind of said, hey, who, who can return punts? And Xavier raised his hand. And <laughs> that's literally how this started. And he went back there, and first of all, they felt secure in his ability to catch the ball, which is always the first thing. 
and uh, he he has shown the ability to make things happen. So he has found a name for himself or found a home for himself as a punt returner when when he hadn't really done it at all. So this is uh, this is happening right before our eyes in real time. Well, it's a good thing Donovan Jennings, the left tackle, didn't raise his hand in that moment, I guess, right? <laughs> exactly. I don't think he would have quite I, the same average. Uh, I don't think we're going to do that, Donovan, but uh, thank you for raising your hand. The third down emphasis is fun. Uh, apparently on third down, the offense yells money, and then on defense, they yell cash. Uh, obviously an important down, but it's kind of a new tradition, I guess, with this group. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, And, and I, I wouldn't say by any means they've been really efficient, uh, on either side of the ball on third downs yet, but they are they know that's important and they're trying to get better at it. Uh, that that's one of the many things that they need to get better at to turn the corner as a program. Um, you know, the, the rebuilding has has uh, has has been underway for a couple of years. The last year and a confusing year for everybody with COVID. The Bulls were one and eight, uh, won their first game at the Citadel and lost eight straight. So um, and this year off to a one and two start with the win over Florida A M. So they are looking for their first FBS uh win since twenty nineteen. Uh they have certainly gotten more talent in the program and uh I think they will find their way back. It's just going to take some time and uh it's gonna take some baby steps. And uh they are certainly not shy about playing good competition. They opened at NC State. They're coming to BYU this week and they played Florida. And this is something they're going to do a lot in the next few years. They're going to play high-caliber competition out of conference. In fact, BYU will open the season next year in Tampa, coming back down to Raymond James Stadium. So um, when, 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 when the team gets back on it, finds its sea legs and gets uh, back in winning ways, uh, they figure to have the type of non-conference schedule that could maybe you know open some doors for them. But in the meantime, the learning process can be painful and and painstaking so that's that's kind of where they are now they're trying to get better at a lot of things and and baby steps maybe it'll, maybe they'll take a giant leap one, one of these weeks uh, we'll see but but it's a building progress a building process that we're seeing uh, each week hey baby steps bill murray i like that a lot uh ne- <laughs> next <laughs> yeah, year byu uh will play its final season as an independent and then be a member of the big 12 the next year ucf as well the war on i4 the rivalry with ucf what's the reaction there as the uh the knights are headed to the big 12 there well it's uh it's a lot of chatter about that among fan bases as you might imagine because uh the shoe was on the other foot years ago when usf uh in uh its eighth season as a program was uh was invited to join the Big East, which at the time was a what they called a BCS conference that had access to the major bowl games, and UCF was not invited uh, to that level. So uh, now it, uh, it's changed. UCF is getting a seat at the at what you maybe call the grown-ups table, um, and USF is not at the moment. But I think in a lot of ways it's going to spur USF into action. There is. Uh, grounds has been broken on a new indoor facility at USF, which the football program is desperately needed. And now there is finally talk of building an on-campus stadium, which they've never had. They play at Raymond James Stadium, which is the home of the Buccaneers, the home of the last Super Bowl. A very, very fine, state-of-the-art, world-class stadium. The only problem is it's not on USF's campus. So uh, the hope is that if they build an on-campus stadium, it will uh, – uh, help grow the program in a lot of ways and, and certainly would be a, a really key factor in, in perhaps 
uh, one day maybe being invited to a place like the Big 12 or, or, or so forth. USF certainly has that potential being in, in Tampa, in Florida, where, where, where football is king, where there are a lot of, uh, a lot of television eyeballs. Uh, so uh, USF just needs to get back on, on a winning uh, track. And, and build some things, and I think maybe they have a chance to uh, to up their ante in, in the conference realignment uh, situation. Well, sounds great. We are looking forward to the matchup tomorrow, tomorrow night. Safe travels, and we appreciate the time, Joey. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, and look forward to seeing you guys. Joey Johnson, USF radio sideline reporter. Thanks for saving my voice on that. And that was a fantastic interview. A lot of insight. It's about reps. Um, we don't need you to practice. We need to get through the E-block, okay. through the fourth okay. quarter. So it's all good, man. Yeah, good insight there in USF. Let's go. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. On BYU Radio. The top five plays from Saturday night's win over number 19 Arizona State, including an all-timer. We'll number get there. five. On the opening kickoff, Talmadge Gunther, Bill Barr, forces the fumble. Hayden Livingston recovers on Arizona State's 12-yard line. Algier would punch it in three plays later. Talmadge didn't seem to realize he even caused the fumble until he turned around and BYU recovered. He's celebrating with the Rock. Yeah, number baby. four, first half. Arizona State driving inside BYU's 20-yard line. Peyton Wilgar delivers a big hit on Arizona State's Curtis Hodges. Pops the ball up from Max Tooley to make the diving interception. Teamwork is fun, isn't it? It Wilgar recognizing some misdirection. Staying home to set up Tooley's big pick. It makes the dream work. Number three. Little trickery here. Algier takes the handoff. Pitches it to Neil Paolo. Back to Jaron Hall. Similar play from the uh, bowl game. We've seen this before. Yes, we have. Touchdown, Gunnar Romney. Best receiver between the end zones now. Hey, he's scoring touchdowns for sure. Love it. Number two, the dagger. Third and goal. Fourth quarter, Baylor Romney. In for the injured, Jaron Hall stumbles with pressure in his face to only where Isaac Rex can catch it. (laughs) Touchdown, the Elk. Mosses his defender. Good night, Arizona State. <laughs> BYU unbeaten and in the top 15. We break down that uh, play in the film room tonight on the Stocky Show. And the top play, one we won't forget, Jaron Hall throws a pick. Tyler Algier chases down Merlin Robertson for the jump punch out to save a touchdown and get the ball back. This might have won BYU the game. Oh, he saved, he saved the game. He saves the game. Because BYU might lose it if he doesn't do that. Incredible. BYU has not trailed all season long, and that is a large reason why that stat still exists. I heard somebody call it the Tomahawk Takeaway. Nice. I like that. And I like that. I like that. All right. Those are your top five plays on Top 5 Tuesday. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. And it is our pleasure to welcome in BYU women's golf coach, former All-American at BYU, one of the fiercest competitors we know, and soon-to-be BYU Athletics Hall of Famer, Carrie Summerhays-Roberts. Carrie, welcome to Studio B again. It's good to be back. It's been a while. I know. It has, what, like two years? Yeah, at least. Yeah. 
All you had to do was win a couple of tournaments. <laughs> all season, we were like, we need the Hall of Fame. We need you to be in the Hall of Fame to come back. Easy. I know. It's like, wow. Okay. The standard's really high to get yes. in. Here. When and how did you find out that you were going to be inducted into the BYU Athletics Hall of Fame? So the day after I got back for the U.S. Women's Amateur, caddying for one of my players, they called me. I was literally at the pool with my kids, and luckily I answered the phone. And um, he called and said, hey, we'd like to, you know, put you in the Hall of Fame. And then he's like, will you accept that? I was like, what do you mean? I have to accept that? Like, <laughs> this is a choice? Yeah, this is a no-brainer. So anyways, they told me about it. Super cool. I was just, like, blown away. It was cool. My parents were there. So it was kind of a cool moment. That's awesome. Uh, how good of a caddy are you, by the way? Oh, I think I'm awesome. But <laughs> right, right. <laughs> ask my players. I don't know. I never misread a putt. I never miss. I mean, that's incredible mm. how good I am. <laughs> that's I love fantastic. the confidence. Yeah. <laughs> were, were you a better uh, player than caddy? Uh, sure. Okay. Okay. Well, let's rewind. Okay. To your amazing BYU career. Do you have a favorite moment or accomplishment as a player? Because we know what you're doing as a coach. Yeah. You're probably going to be inducted as a coach a little bit later, too. Wait, can you do two? You're technically going in as a player. Let's hope. What's your favorite moment as a player at BYU? Yeah, as a player, geez. You know, there's a lot of good moments, good memories. On the course, it had to be nationals um, up up in Oregon and... Um, crazy hard golf course, super cold, and honestly, I hit one of the best flop shots there that literally I still remember, you know. And, and just honestly, just there's some coo- super cool memories with my teammates that you just never – I mean, our, our coach took us everywhere, allowed us to do everything, and it was like the coolest thing in the world to me. Growing up as a summer haze, like golf is a thing that you guys do, right? So yeah. when, when did you really embrace golf as like, yes, I'm going to embrace the family you know, uh, business? Honestly – it was very young. I literally loved it from little, little, little. I mean, I was five years old begging my mother to put me in a tournament. And, of course, she was like, you are too young, too young. And I remember just begging and begging and begging. Literally five years old, I played in my first tournament. I just always loved it. You probably won it too, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. The, the trophy's in there somewhere. Somewhere. Okay, as, as far as this Hall of Fame class goes, I mean – you're joining Jimmer for Dead and Brian Banks and, and Gay Mayor. I mean, this is an incredible class. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be a part of this specific class? You know, to be to go in with Jimmer, how cool is that? I mean, come on. I mean, he's the greatest of all time. To me, that honestly just makes it super cool. I ran into Dave Rose at the golf course, and he goes, man, how cool that you're going in with Jimmer. And I was like, yeah, you you're know. Like, Jimmer's going in with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, you're right. <laughs> Let's rephrase that. Wait a minute. Yeah, and that's what my, my kids, my, my 10-year-old was like, so I can meet Jimmer? Like, that was the first thing he said. Not like, hey, that's cool, Mom, congratulations, but wait. What's in it for me? Wait, I can meet Jimmer? So, <laughs> super, super cool. No, that's awesome. And every year when this, when this comes up, it's like, yes, the legacy of BYU Athletics is so rich in all the sports. Yeah, it's crazy. I know, I know certain sports get more love than others, but right. in terms of golf and kind of the history there, what does it mean to be in the Hall of Fame? As a golfer and be the golf coach as you continue to grow yeah, your program. Yeah, honestly, it's super, super cool. Like, I, I didn't think it would be that big a deal, honestly. And and then as I got thinking, I was like, wow, this is kind of cool, you know, to, to be coaching. And, and I don't know, maybe it gives me a little more clout with people. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it raises the status. <laughs> maybe. Of the I don't know. I don't know. It's super cool. It's super cool. Let's talk about your team. Yeah, uh, killing it. I mean. On fire. Two for two right now. Yeah. What's the deal? Do Big we need wins, to give you man. all the credit? Is it good coaching? Yeah, 100% the players. I mean, you know what happened last April at a conference, you know, a horrible loss. And the way they responded to that, the way the captains stood up and said, you know, we, we basically set our our 
fall goals or whatever, this season's goals right then and there. And the captain mm-hmm. stood up and just said, this is what we're working for in the summer. You know, and they went out and killed the summer, killed it now. It's a fiercely determined team. Yeah, Kirsten Fotu and Leela Nalia have been amazing, among others, Alicia May Mateo. We've had several of them on the show. Yeah. They've been great. What, what is it about this group that is making them so self-motivated, so, uh, I guess, coachable? <laughs> the, the pain of defeat, you know, mm. honestly. It, it was painful. I mean, and I remember, I mean, you know, we were leading with, what, four or five holes left. And, and, and you know, it was people who don't play sports. They don't get how hard that is. And we woke up the next day, and I was like, wow, the pain is real. Like, mm. it, it hurt, you know, and it hurt everybody. And, and that was kind of a turning point, I think, for right. us. It said, we, we don't want that anymore. Like, we should have had that. That was ours. Let's, let's do something about it. I'm glad you brought that up because we were talking about a turning point for BYU football a couple yeah. of years ago. They lost in Tampa at yeah. USF, the team they're going to play on Saturday. Yeah, That team finished 4-8. and eight. Uh, it was devastating loss. For Fired BYU. the coach. Yeah. Okay. BYU was nineteen and three since that yeah. point. They won five games in a row after that. Yeah. What is it about that mental dynamic when you go through something hard like that? It, it's crazy. It hurts too. It's like touching a stove. You'll never do that again, right? It hurts too bad. And and really, we just we really had a rough season that wasn't us. Like honestly, I and people thought I was so weird. I was just like, no, no, no. We're amazing. We just don't realize it yet. Like, we, we actually did some pretty cool things last year, just like maybe once or twice instead of all the time. And there's just something about it that just you're like, this is not what I want. This is not how I want to feel. Like, And then just the belief that you can do something about it and change it, that, that's what makes this team special. That's exciting. Uh, what's up next for your team? So we actually go to the Golf Week in Vail Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That We have three in a row and then take a break, Tulsa. And then the fall season ends and we get ready for, for spring. Do you love travel to these exotic golf locations? Yeah, I actually do. I love it. I mean, it's some pretty cool places that we get to see. Yeah. Great golf courses. And honestly, traveling with this group literally is the funnest thing ever. Mm. They're fun. They're always laughing, Why? cracking jokes. They're, f- they're chill. Because they're chill? Yeah, they're yeah. chill. I mean, literally, I mean, on our way home, we missed our flight, had to get a different flight. Then we flew through Denver. Was de- we were delayed in Denver. We land. It's midnight. Cars aren't starting, and we're just rolling. We're laughing instead of people getting upset and whatever. We're just like, just making, having fun with it. That's and awesome. so it, it's a chill, chill group. And you know they like to eat good food. So that's, oh, then that's important. Yeah, yeah. That's important. Sounds like we need to go on one of these. It's you need fun. to come. Yeah. Yeah. It's an experience. Awesome. What do we need to do to get on the travel party with women's golf? <laughs> you know what? Let's bring Sports Nation right to women's. Golf. Yes. Like the tournament championship. Who doesn't want to watch like live golf? Nationals. Let's go. We're expanding. Hey, we'll I'm tell our bosses. FYI. This is it's happening. happening. <laughs> golf closer Don't for ask. Three years Just say it's Springs. happening. Yeah. I know all about golf coverage. This I've heard of golf. Good. This is very exciting. Be loud. Yeah, be proud. <laughs> and thanks, Kerry. Congratulations. Thank on you the very much. That's so awesome. Thanks. Appreciate it. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. You also presented to our good friend from ESPN, Trevor Maddich. That's exactly right. Conversation about Arizona State. Not much about South Florida. Lots to discuss. Here's my conversation earlier today with Trevor Maddich. Trevor, 3-0 for BYU, ranked 15th. Life's good right now for BYU. Life is awesome. 
enter into the Big 12 coming up in a couple of years, 3-0 and against three Power 5 teams. I don't think there's any other team in the country that's 3-0 and right now against all Power 5. Two of them ranked at the time they played them. And so if you're a BYU fan, right now is the time for tremendous hope, and the team is validating that hope. Okay, we'll talk about the 12-0 and kind of discussion in a second, but first, let's break down this game. This was an Arizona State team that was ranked 19th, brought in a lot of speed, Jane Daniels. BYU's defense again shows up, you know, a sub-20 allowed performance again, and uh, BYU gets the win with some, some real drama late. There was drama late, and I'll tell you, the defense did what they had to do. You're right about this Arizona State team. They had almost everybody coming back. They've got NFL guys all over that roster, coached by an NFL staff, and they've got lots of speed, lots of playmakers, and the BYU defense did a good job of not letting them break loose, especially their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, who is a true star in the Pac-12. He normally averages just under 100 yards per game rushing, He was held way below that by the BYU defense. He wasn't able to affect drives with his legs the way he normally does. That's one of the reasons that while Arizona State moved the ball between the 20s, BYU was able to to clamp down and keep them from converting yards into touchdowns. So that the defense was just absolutely magnificent in this game against a truly dangerous explosive offense, as we will see as Arizona State goes through the rest of their season. Yeah, you look at the uh, you know the net eight yards rushing for Daniels, which was pretty shocking. Okay, let's talk about the the influence of penalties on this game too. Arizona State had sixteen, including four false starts on one drive. The BYU student section, the Rock, was amazing in that corner of the end zone. Arizona State was pretty undisciplined, but I feel like the crowd had a massive impact on this game. What did you see? The crowd was magnificent. I mean, these are a bunch of people that largely are reverent on Sundays, not so much on Saturdays. They went, and it was great. And the thing is, every time there was a false start on Arizona State, it it egged on the crowd. It got them even more fired up because they knew that they were influencing the outcome of this game. I mean, there was that fourth quarter drive where I think they had four false starts in the same drive. And that was massive because BYU was hanging on to a lead at that time. Now, part of that was the crowd. Most of it was the crowd. But let's also look at the big picture of Arizona State. Because of the nature of COVID last year, for them and for everybody, they didn't play in front of a big crowd. So the offense never had to work with super crowd noise. Now, you try to deal with that in practice by playing super loud music or white noise or something that would make it so you can't hear the quarterback. But it's different when you are in a game situation. Because in a game situation, it's not just loud like you can make it in practice with speakers. You can feel the noise like you're at a rock concert standing in front of the speaker. It reverberates through your body. It's actually a physical response. And so that combined with the fact that you can't hear combined with the fact fact that it's been over a year since any of those guys have dealt with this in a game, BYU crowd had an outsized influence on what Arizona State was doing. And keep this in mind, too, that this was a Pac-12 officiating crew. Arizona State was not home cooked on those penalties. Yeah, it was, it was gnarly. 16 of them in all, which was pretty crazy. And BYU gets the win. Play of the game, maybe the play of the decade, I don't know, maybe a top 10 play in BYU history. It was incredible. Tyler Algier, after an interception from Jaron Hall, chases down a man, grabs his left shoulder, punches the ball out like he's Captain America or something, and Jaron Hollow, by the way, hustles down and recovers it. That was one of the greatest plays I've ever seen. I know you loved it too. You said as much on Twitter. 
I did. I said that that might be the greatest forced fumble in college football history. Might be because I haven't seen every forced fumble in college <laughs> football history. But certainly, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it's up there with them. Because first of all, of the the time of the game, the impact of the game, that would have been a pick six that Arizona State would have taken the lead with, right? And so it changed momentum, but also the nature of it. Tyler Algier is a big running back. He had a lot of ground to make up to catch the guy who was running for the end zone. On the right sideline, he jumped up on his back. And then while holding himself up there with one arm, he had his play side, or excuse me, sideline side arm, punched that ball out, a massive Braveheart style punch, and knocked the ball not just out, but into the field of play where his guys would have a chance to recover it. And they did. Jaron Hall never quit on the play after throwing the interception. He went down there and jumped on that fumble. And so it was a, a massive impact play for BYU that stopped a massive impact play by the Sun Devils. And the fact that all those things came together for Tyler Algier, the fact that he made up all that ground, that he rode the guy on his back, that he punched the ball intentionally back into the field of play, and that the guy who originally through the interception that would have been a pick six recumbles, recovers the fumble. That to me is outstanding. And I'll tell you this, it made me think of Kyle Morrell going over the Hawaii line at the goal line, inverted, grabbing Rafael Cherry's jersey on the back of his nameplate, their quarterback, because he was trying to score a touchdown during our national championship run. Now he has inverted Kyle Morrell is. He's upside down. He has got the back of the nameplate, and as he comes down on the ground on the Hawaii side of the line, he pulled the quarterback back so he couldn't score on that quarterback sneak. They were held to a field goal on that drive. If it would have been a touchdown, we might have lost that game, probably would have lost that game, and the national championship would not have been. So that was, up until this point, the greatest defensive play I've ever seen, certainly by BYU. This one by Tyler Algier is right up there with it. And it's a little uh, interesting that a defensive play made by an offensive player, and we'll see, it's a great play, no doubt, but the context of the play will increase in history, history's eye if this season goes really well. So let's talk about it. BYU's 3-0, way ahead of schedule. I think ambitious fans were calling for 2-1 and in the first three. Now BYU's in business. South Florida this week, Utah State after that, Boise State, Baylor, it, it gets tougher. It gets a little easier uh, this week, but it gets tougher later, too. Is it too early to talk 12-0 and at this point, Trevor? It is too early for the team. The team needs to be focused on this rep in this practice drill. That's it. If the team focuses on the big picture, they're going to lose the focus that got them to 3-0. and And they know that, and they will focus on the moment. But from a fan standpoint, not too early at all. I mean, it seemed insurmountable to, to – win three power five games, two of them teams that were ranked at the time, BYU played them, and be 3-0 and sitting at this spot. It just seemed like, okay, well, that's theoretically possible, but I don't know. Now it's a reality. It's real. And the thing is, the, the BYU should be favored in every game going forward, except maybe the USC game at the end of the season. Their quarterback, Jackson Dart, backup came in for Keaton Slovis against Washington State on Saturday and lit it up. And so USC, I think, is going to be a very dangerous team. But there are other dangerous teams, too, that BYU will be favored over. They'll be favored over Boise State, but Boise State is really good. They'll be favored over Baylor, but Baylor can pound the ball, and their defensive uh, coaching mindset is one of the best in college football. I mean, this is, this is still a really tricky, really difficult schedule. But BYU now, from a fan standpoint, 
it's okay to look at what's in front of the Cougars and think, you know what, we can get to that USC game undefeated. And if we do, it's anybody's game to be undefeated at the end of the regular season. It is a possibility. But once again, let's make sure to differentiate between fans' hope and players' needs. At what point in 1984 did the team start thinking about the possibility of going undefeated? You know, we opened up with Pitt, Jerem, and at Pitt, all the way across the country. We uh, were looking at a team that had a whole bunch of NFL guys. They had at least one Heisman candidate, and uh, probably two. And they were ranked in the top five, I believe, at the time we played them. And so we weren't thinking anything about undefeated season. We were thinking only about Pitt. We knew we could move the ball. We knew we could interfere with their offense. But, but to have the hubris to think that, yeah, we're going to beat them and go undefeated, we, we didn't begin to have that. We had a good professional humility, I think, as we were going out there. We stayed focused in the moment. But when Adam Haysbert cut that touchdown pass from Robbie Bosco and we won that game, on the plane home, all of a sudden we started thinking, you know what, now that we're past that obstacle, we can sweep this thing. And we started thinking that way. Now, we didn't talk about it much. At least I didn't with people. We still stayed focused on the moment. But the possibility became real with the win over Pitt. Just like now, the possibility becomes real for these Cougars going 3-0 and against the schedule. Fun fact, Adam Haysbert's uh, brother is Dennis, the uh, All-State guy, President uh, you know, Palmer from 24. Fun fact. Uh, and then I love professional humility. That's a phrase I'm going to start using. That's a good one, man. <laughs> You know, it's what you need, but that's what this culture is. Listen, this BYU culture was forged in the COVID year of last year, where no one knew if they would play. They were the only team west of the Rockies, I think, that were playing for a while. And they had to kind of make it up as they went along. They didn't have a conference to tell them what to do. They were doing things the way that they felt was right, based on the science and based on what was best for the team. And the team came together in a way that I've never seen on any team before. I mean, it was astonishing the way these guys took a brotherhood and made it even stronger. And I think that's one of the reasons that they were able to be successful so much at the beginning of this season is that brotherhood. So I don't think they will elevate their eyes above the moment, which is what they need to focus on because they won't let each other. They're too focused on their family. We're talking with ESPN's Trevor Maddich, former BYU All-American as well. Trevor, with this schedule and this team, we certainly looked at it and thought, okay, we're going from zero power fives to seven. And if BYU can hang in this schedule and so far so good, this is certainly a team and program that's ready for the Big 12 where you will play eight or nine power five games. There's seven uh, you know, power fives. Three in the bag, four left. Do you feel like BYU can go three and one or four and zero oh in those? And how tough will it be against Baylor, Virginia, Washington State, and USC? They certainly have the talent. You know, Baylor has one of the best quarterbacks in the country that people don't talk about in Brennan Armstrong. They are a well-coached, solid team. I mean, Bronco Mendenhall, former BYU coach, Robert and I, former BYU offensive coordinator. You know, and so many other former BYU coaches on that Virginia staff, they'll, they will be recognizable for BYU fans in terms of how they play. A disciplined brand of football, very tough, very physical, a really hard out. And so it's, BYU still has a long way to go. So what do they have to do in order to get there? Well, they've got to stay healthy. I mean, they've got some, some real injury issues with guys that are either banged up or worse on all three levels of the defense. They have had some injury issues on offense, 
fortunately got around me his back and that's that's a good thing you know jaron hall should be okay we'll, we'll see how that goes so first of all stay healthy second of all really the offense needs to play four full quarters they have done enough to win They've made some really great plays that look great on the highlight film, but let's not forget that they also have had way too many three and outs. As a matter of fact, after that first short touchdown, after the special teams play gave them that short field, the next three drives were three and out for BYU's offense. And on first down, they combined on those three drives of three yards. That's it. Three yards combined on three first down plays on those three three and outs. And so the, the offense needs to do better at getting yards on first down in order to be able to get to where they want to go because the defense is really playing like crazy. But now with guys banged up a bit, they need to be on the sideline a lot more than they have been on the sideline. The good news is that the offense has the personnel to do it. The offensive line is playing lights out. We know the running back stable is fantastic. The receivers, as they develop chemistry with Jaron Hall in the passing game, will be the difference. It's that chemistry in the passing game to make sure that on first down, they're getting the yards that they need in order to stay even with the chains and then continue to hit the downfield plays that will take this offense where it needs to go. So let's not... Let's not put on BYU the, you know, the 2019 or LSU offense right now. You know, they're not there yet. What they do have is the ability to build it up. They have the personnel, they have the work ethic, they have the coaches, but now they need to get it on the field because having so many three and outs is not going to be a formula for winning against the power five teams that remain on this schedule and against teams like Boise State and the rivalry against Houston State. And the only good news about a three and out is that BYU rolls out in my opinion, the best player on the team, Ryan Rico. He punts an <laughs> 83-yarder, Trevor, the longest punt in BYU history. Rico's fourth in the country right now in uh, punt average. This guy's unbelievable. He's got an NFL leg. I think BYU will be lucky to have him for as long as they have him. He flips the field, and really he's done his defense so much good because when the offense would get stuffed on those three and outs from time to time and then look really good other times on offense i'm not saying the offense isn't good it is they just need to be more consistent then rico booms those punts flips the field and gives the defense a long field to defend and remember go back to arizona state they had over 400 yards total offense arizona state moved the ball but by not allowing them a lot of huge chunk plays byu's defense made arizona state be consistent and not get behind the chains and as as they move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, then all of a sudden BYU would make a play or Arizona would make a penalty and they would end up off the field or at least not scoring a touchdown. And that was that happened in part because Rico gave the defense such long fields to defend. I mean, he is you can make a good case that he's been the MVP of this team so far. That's quite the statement, uh, especially for a punter, which is awesome. I love it. Trevor, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jeremy. ESPN's Trevor Maddich on BYU Sports Nation with Jerem Jordan. He says it's okay to start thinking about a really special season. You cool with that? Now they put these on, yeah. Can we train shirts on? The blue goggles are on. Let's go. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. We are now joined by BYU Senior Associate Athletic Director and Senior Woman Administrator at BYU, Liz Darger. 
It's a pleasure to have you in Studio B, Liz. So good to be here. Lots of great things happening. Uh, Oh, my gosh. The day after an incredible name, image, and likeness deal from Smarty Streets to all female student athletes at BYU. Just... This is groundbreaking, transcendent stuff, and it's really fun to watch. No, it really is. There's, there's, uh, when NIL legislation first was discussed, I think it was mostly discussed around football, men's basketball, and really the, the high-profile student-athletes. Uh, and, and we've seen a lot of things happen around the country with NIL, but it's been it really, really neat to see how different corporations have stepped up to sign these deals with student-athletes that they believe bring value. Uh, and being in that room yesterday and witnessing that with our female student athletes, it was just it was an amazing feeling. And I think Smarty Streets is really paving the way and leading the way. They are showing uh, the importance of empowering women. They're showing the value that women bring. Our female student athletes are remarkable. You guys know that. I mean, you think about what they bring in terms of a confidence, what they bring in terms of they are fierce competitors, but they are kind. They are smart. Uh, they are inclusive, and so you 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 look at their hard work, you look at their platforms, and how they use their platforms for good. And for a company like Smarty Streets to come along and say we want to do deals with every single one of them, I think it just says a lot about our female student athletes, and says a lot about Smarty Streets and and their vision for what they want to do. They could have said we just want the Courtney Waymans and the Michaela Coolahans and the Shayla Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. They did not. They said everybody. They did, um, which is pretty cool. So when did this deal sort of? Uh, come about and and how does how does uh, you know what's BYU's involvement in helping facilitate or not these kinds of things because you guys want the athletes to have this but also uh, there's sort of rules and we're still figuring right. all this out yet BYU's kind of leading the way here. So Smarty Streets and Jonathan Oliver, their CEO, he expressed interest and, and wanted uh, reached out to us for some education to make sure he wanted to understand NIL a little bit better. And so there were conversations where we were educating him about, about the rules, about things that he could do, uh, and, and he would sort of ask things, work with our compliance department, and, and run things by us. And, and, and throughout those discussions, he indicated what his wishes were, and, and, uh, and so he organized the meeting at the Provo Marriott yesterday, and he he wanted every single female student athlete to have that opportunity, and we were just uh, blown away by that and thrilled by that, uh, and 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 really grateful. Again, I think it shows. Uh, I mean, anytime you you elevate a student athlete and 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 show uh, how they can use their brand for good, is a great thing. Uh, but for him to see the value of of offering it to every single female student athlete, that's just, it's next level. There's nothing like it in the country. It's absolutely next level and love that it's happening at BYU. I saw front row, uh, front office sports tweeted that FAU got a deal from the Florida Panthers similar for their women, but I haven't heard anything else with anybody else. Have you? No, I haven't. And I, and I heard a little bit about that deal and, and, and this deal that, uh, that, that Smarty Streets is, is, is offering is up to $6,000 for each of those female student athletes uh, for some social media posts and also some engagement with their employees at, at uh, corporate events and things like that, which that's a piece I actually really like uh, in speaking with their CEO. Uh, Jonathan Oliver expressed that he wants his employees, he wants Smarty Streets and that corporation to get to know these female student athletes and and, uh, and how incredible they are, he wants his employees and their families to be able to interact with these female student athletes. And and I think that's a that's a part that we don't talk about as much. Mm. Uh, but any of our fans, Cougar Nation, as they interact with our female student athletes, 
uh, they, they see that these are just remarkable women and uh, women that we'd want all of our young boys and young girls to look up to and say, I want to be like that when I grow up. Amen to that. BYU Senior Associate Athletic Director Liz Darger is with us on BYU Sports Nation. I was going to say, Spencer and I are two of the champions of women's sports calling these games, right? So this is awesome. I'm so happy for them because they deserve this, and, and hopefully this is just the beginning. Right? Absolutely. Uh, and just from a timeline perspective, how long did it take to put a deal like this in place, having to jump through hoops and you know, go through some red tape through the NCAA? So how long of a timeline was this? Yeah, there were there were discussions happening over a number of weeks, uh, and and wanting to make sure that that Smarty Streets had the information they needed, uh, and 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 then working through compliance and and uh, and and looking at some other things. And so, yeah, it, it was it was a number of weeks to to make sure that that Smarty Streets felt like they had the information they needed to to be ready to, to strike a deal, and and that we felt comfortable from our end in terms of giving the proper education as well. So. I mean, this is uh, up to $2 million in compensation if every female athlete was given the $6,000. Is this a, a deal that will be a recurring thing, or is this just a one-year deal and then you'll, you'll visit it again next year? How does that work? So Smarty Streets has indicated that, that this is, this is uh, a deal for now, and they are really anxious and excited and hopeful that other corporations will follow suit. And, and, we'll, and we'll see the, the value that these female student-athletes bring. And so that's really the hope, which is one of the neat things, I think, about, about uh, CEO Jonathan Oliver, is it's, 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 it's not just about him and his corporation. He really is looking for ways to empower women as well. So his hope is that this just starts a groundswell of lots of companies and corporations becoming a part of this. How many uh, female student-athletes are there? Uh, about 300, if you include cougarettes and the female cheerleaders. Yeah, 300. I'm telling you, it's wild that they said, yep, we're going all in on everybody. I just think that's amazing. Okay, we buried the lead here. Um, each athlete gets Air Jordans. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the deal. How about that? Yeah, that, that was kind of a <laughs> snuck in, right? I mean, yeah, where, where's that? That's, no, that, there, were, there were very loud cheers for that. That, that was announced before. <laughs> Get the 6,000, <laughs> give me the Jordans. No, I, in fact, I, I turned to the person next to me and said, oh, my gosh, like, the, 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 yeah. The cheering for the Jordans was, was, was That might be incredible. $2 million by itself. <laughs> just that, is, the Air that is incredible. Uh, in terms of that compensation, uh, it said up to $6,000. How will the other – is it just dependent on how much they can do, how much time they have to help out? Or right, like right, exactly. Earning so capability? Right, so, they're, right, so they're, they're different, there are different deals that, that Smarty Streets uh, will, will present to individual student-athletes, yeah, based on their time, what, what they want to commit to it, what they want to give to it. And so that's, that's totally within Smarty Streets and each individual student-athlete to, to work that. What's the uh, the role of BYU athletics in helping the athletes with this? Because you want them to thrive, but you also have this fun, um, it's not an issue, it's just a thing you have to deal with, I guess, of athletics itself gets sponsors and the individuals get sponsors too, and you're hoping those can both thrive. Sure, yeah, and, and as, as NIL legislation was being talked about at the beginning, those were a lot of things athletic departments around the country were talking about, is how do we help support our student-athletes and this wonderful new opportunity, and we support that opportunity and want them to have every opportunity. We also have corporate sponsorships that are very important to us as an athletic department, and so how do we sort of strike that balance of encouraging our student-athletes and encouraging corporations to, to do what they feel is in the best interest of their company. Uh, and, and so we, we have done a lot of education, uh, and we've tried to communicate very transparently with our student-athletes that, that we support this name, image, likeness, and this opportunity for them, um, and, uh, and the importance of com- communication and coordination uh, so, that, uh, so that we make sure that we're, that we're doing our best to support them, give them the education they need, uh, but that we also are doing what we can to make sure that we are supporting our corporate sponsorships that are so valuable 
available to our athletic department. And then Utah County is uniquely suited to approach this, which is a huge blessing for everybody associated with BYU. Absolutely. You know, one of the part of our mission as an athletic department is that we want to be distinct and exceptional. And uh, we believe in winning. We want to be exceptional at what we do, but we also believe in being distinct. And I think you see from the past couple of months and what's happened with NIL and, and some things that have benefited our BYU student athletes, it's very distinct. And in some ways, it's sort of uh, leading the way, I think, for other athletic departments uh, to, to, to see if, like, oh, there, there could be a different approach in terms of how companies and corporations can, um, can, can address this and can approach this. And, and that's all, I think, because of Cougar Nation, because of Utah County, uh, because of our wonderful uh, corporations around here uh, and, and donors and fans that see the value of, uh, of all of our student athletes. And when you think about it, too, it's, I, I kind of compare it to, I, I'm not a parent, but I'm a very fiercely proud aunt. Yes. And when you have your <laughs> nieces and nephews that you think are like the most remarkable little people on the planet, and when someone else recognizes that, you're like, thank you. Yes, yeah. I've been telling yeah. you this for yeah. so long. Can you? And, and so that, yeah. that's what yesterday felt like is for us as an athletic department, for our coaches, for our student athletes, like we know these are absolutely astounding women. They are unbelievable. And so to have a company come in and recognize that and want to use that, I think we all felt like very proud parents or proud aunts and uncles being like, yes, this is what we've been telling the world, and, mm-hmm. and thank you for recognizing it. Oh, what a fantastic deal that's going. Uh, leads me to my final question, Liz. You brought up that it's, this is setting an example for other athletic departments across the country. Uh, how busy are the phones right now with schools watching what BYU is doing and calling you and being like, how, how is this happening? Like, what kind of communications are you having with other schools? Yeah, I would say as we talk with colleagues around the country, there, there are lots of discussions. And, and, and every state has their own legislation around name, image, likeness. And so every, every state's going to function a little bit differently in terms of what their constraints are. Uh, but, but we've had very great, healthy discussions with our colleagues uh, who, who have said, wow, what, what's happening there in Provo is, is, is pretty great. And, uh, and, and it's always fun to be on that end of a conversation to, to feel like, yeah, there's some really neat things happening here. And, and, we're, and really, it all comes down to our student athletes. We're so proud of them and, and proud to be associated with them. Fantastic. We appreciate you hanging out with us to discuss this groundbreaking stuff. This is incredible. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's great. Thanks for having me. Air Jordan's for everybody. Love it. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. The injury bug hits BYU in the form of Keenan Peely and a torn ACL. He's out for the season. Very unfortunate news for BYU in that defense, which has been so good, Jerem, giving up under 17 points per game. There have been some other nicks and bruises. We saw Jaron Hall have to leave the game. Baylor Romney came in late to secure the deal against Arizona State. Jake Oldroyd has had his issues in the kicking game, has not played for in a couple of games. Yeah. Does BYU have the depth with the remainder of this schedule to hold on and win 10 games in the regular season. I think it's going to be hard. I really do. Because I think it would be hard if BYU is fully healthy the whole year, let alone banged up. So I'm going to say it's probably going to be tough. Um, I still think there are a couple losses on the schedule, just naturally. I love the way BYU started. It's awesome. We're all enjoying it. It's amazing. I just think there's going to be some tough road trips. Yesterday we talked about it. In the final six games, BYU is playing four power fives, three on the road. They're all winnable games. USC has shown some vulnerability, 
But USC still really good, right? Virginia, that's going to be an interesting game. Brendan Armstrong's chucking it all over the field. Uh, Washington State feels like a winnable game, right, given how Utah State went up there and won. At Baylor feels like that's going to be a tough game. What's up, Jeff Grimes and Eric Pateos? Boise State's there. Listen, BYU can always compete, but the cost of playing three Power Fives in a row that we haven't necessarily discussed is you get beat up. You just get beat up because it's a different level. A couple players have even said that to us, right? Hey, one player told me last year I was sore, but this year I'm sore from playing these first three against Power 5 teams. So I really hope so. Um, I think we really like the backups in a lot of positions. I just hope that there's no catastrophic ones. Go back to 2014. We had a similar feeling to what we have now. Uh, BYU beat two Power 5s and was 4-0. and um, you know, in, in Virginia and Texas, um, and, and was ranked 18th, and Taysom Hill gets hurt, and, and the whole thing blows up. BYU loses four in a row. I don't see that happening um, with BYU because there's more depth at that particular position. Sure. But uh, I hope so. I think if BYU was fully healthy, it would still be tough to get 10. I think the key for BYU to get to 10 wins in the regular season, and maybe this sounds crazy, but Jerem is winning the next three games, which they will be favored in. To get four, then you would only need four, you know, Correct. of the next seven. Correct. Well, yeah, right. With you a got, bowl game. You've got to beat USF, which is going to happen. BYU's yeah. a 23-and-a-half-point yeah. favorite. Yes. They'll get to 4-0. and Then you go to Logan. Sneaky. Kind of a weird game. Yep. BYU's going to be in front of that volatile student section. They have moved the sidelines to give themselves more of a home-field advantage. Farmersonly.com will be there. Hey, so if BYU can survive that in-state game and an upset alert from Utah State, 5-0, and and then they come home and take on Boise State, which is another tricky game. Boise State's 1-2, and two, and I know what you're thinking. They're 1-2. and two. What's the big deal? They lost to UCF on the road, a game they should have won. They were up 24-7 to seven in that game, yep. let it slip away, and they have a one-point home loss to BYU's future Big 12 homie, Oklahoma State. Should have won that game. Missed and a 36-yard field goal late. Boise State... Yeah is a couple of plays away from being 3-0 and and ranked in the top it's, 25. It's Boise State. They have complete respect yes. from us. From I know me. that BYU yeah. plays yeah. them better in Provo, and we talked about that this summer. When Boise State is, especially when they're not a 10-1 team and they come to Provo, they don't beat BYU. The Cougars are looking for a third straight win. But, Jaron, if they, can, Jaren, if they get three straight wins and get to 6-0, and yeah. BYU is going to win 10 games in the regular season. If, yes, if BYU gets to 6-0, and real confident. Because you have Idaho State, you have Georgia Southern, you have a Conference USA foe in the bowl game. That means you need to win one of those Power 5 games, the four. That's totally doable. And it's Washington State. That's the one, right? BYU will be. Right now they are favored heavily, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, to win that game in Pullman, Washington. I can't tell you how validating right now it feels, right? We all feel it. The validation of, hey, this... This it, this team built off of last year. It wasn't. It didn't just lean on last year's schedule. Listen, last year's schedule was way easier than it is this year, and BYU dominated. It was awesome. BYU did what it needed to do. BYU did what it had to do. Now this year, BYU's playing this really tough schedule. Granted, nice upfront home games. Three home games in a row. I'm calling the game in Vegas a home game because it totally well, it really was. Is, BYU doesn't really leave a home atmosphere until mid October. Well, October's it, it'll be a road atmosphere at Utah State. How many sure, BYU sure. fans will show up in Logan? Right, but there'll be there'll be plenty of wearefarmersonly.com. Oh yeah, right? the students will let them know it. Yes, yeah. um, but.
but you're right. The the like leave the state. It's Baylor on what the 16th of October. I mean that's insane. So this schedule is totally built for BYU to f- get a fast start, crack the top ten, or be right there, right? And then uh, you know BYU might be ninth going into Waco if BYU can get through these next three. It's really interesting and validating because if BYU can win even nine games, honestly, ten games that. That just screams BYU's ready for the Big 12. BYU's ready for the every game is going to be like Arizona State and Utah and Arizona. You know what I mean? Where it's tough, grind it out. You're not throwing for 300. You're not plus two every time. Someone said to me, like, oh, well, BYU's got to play way better. BYU won. Like, when BYU's in Lubbock and survives Texas Tech 55-49, to it's not going to matter. It's just you just got to go win. And playing all these Power Fives, it's a different formula. It's not tied at murder to Andy Boyce for 350 in 1990. Now comes the Group of Five trio. So if BYU can handle the Group of Five trio, get a little bit more healthy, Jaron Hall, uh, Keenan Ellis comes back and plays on the defensive side of the Who ball. Knows? Maybe we'll see him this week. Jake Oldroyd hopefully can get his back situation figured out and he can kick on a consistent basis. I think BYU has the depth right now to win the next three games and get to 6-0, and which then sets them up to win 10 games. Yeah. Not just 10-3, and Jerem, 10 in the regular season. I, There's this, a chance. Like, this BYU team. That'd be crazy. They win 40% of their Power 5 games, right? Yeah, and Kalani era is like 35 right now. Okay, they've already won it's, three. Well, it's better with these three. They've already won three. Yeah. So if you just take the 50%, they get 50% they of the final four. They only get one four. more. They beat Washington State. I don't think they're going to lose to Baylor, Virginia, and USC. This team is too good. I don't think BYU is losing to Virginia at home. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay? So if you win two of the final four Power Fives and beat the group of five opponents, you're 10-2 and two in the regular season. Which would and be they, amazing. They do have the depth to do this because of the quarterback position. And Drew Jensen, well, Ben s- Bywater, those guys hopefully step up at linebacker. We're saying it as currently constituted. What we're not foreseeing is the injury to some guy whose backup is not even close to as good as him right now. Okay, We're saying as is. There will be other injuries, unfortunately. It just happens. It's football. Topic two. Through three games, have we learned that BYU is good or that the Pac-12 is bad? This has been discussed on both sides of the coin. The Pac-12 side, the Utah side, and the BYU side. We've learned both. <laughs> BYU is a good football team. They're a disciplined football team. Yeah, no doubt. They play really solid defense. We have learned those things. Jaron Hall, for the most part, has taken really good care of the ball and has been a dynamic playmaker when he needs to be. He's been a gamer in clutch moments. We've learned those things. BYU's a good football team. They deserve to be ranked in the top 15. No argument there. The Pac-12 obviously is down. Arizona is in the dregs of the Pac-12. They are not good. That's status quo for them. Okay? Yeah. They're in the first year of under Jed Fish. They just lost to an FCS it opponent. It don't matter who the coach is. They stink. Hey, Arizona is not good, okay? Arizona State, however, I think is a good football team. That was a great measuring stick for BYU. Utah, okay, Utah's having a down year. They're one and two. Utah's not a bad football team. No. Right now they're a mediocre Pac-12 football team, but maybe they get better as the season progresses right. because they're switching quarterbacks yeah. and things yeah. are changing. Right I, now, I, I it's like, so early. I feel like BYU has played three different tiers of Pac-12 teams in three games. They played a horrible team in Arizona. They played a mediocre Utah team but still got the monkey off the back and ended the losing streak. And they've played a good Pac-12 team. Arizona State 
could very well go on to win the Pac-12 South. If they don't commit 16 penalties and four turnovers... If it's only nine, maybe they win. They might have beaten BYU. Arizona yeah. State is not going to face a crowd as loud as BYU as probably the rest of the season. Yeah. Okay? I, I, so to me, I, like it's three different tiers. I think Utah's better than you think Utah's. Um, even the, oh, San Diego State. San Diego State's respectable. Like At home, it got weird. Quarterback switch, blah, blah, blah. I still think Utah's going to be an 8-plus win team. Sure. Any Power 5 win for BYU against an 8-plus win team is notable because that team was good. A lot of times when BYU beats Power 5, Maybe they weren't. Sometimes they weren't that good, and maybe that's why. I don't think that's the case here. I think both Arizona State and Utah are eight plus win teams. Maybe Arizona State wins the South. Maybe Utah wins the South. They haven't even played a Pac 12 South game yet. Yeah, we'll see. And Arizona's there. That's a win. I hope. <laughs> I hope Utah turns out to be a great team to help BYU strengthen the schedule. And that takes us to our question of the day Do you care about BYU opponents playing well? The rest of their season. Mm. Why or why not? Let's hear from you, BYUSN, in Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. Kyle Nelson on Instagram says, Yes, 2020 will always be marred because BYU played mediocre opponents. Marred? What? If no, BYU, it was celebrated. If BYU wants respect, if BYU wants the New Year's Six, that is, mm. BYU's opponents have to do well. BYU should now be the biggest Arizona, Arizona State, and U of U fans. Look, it's, no, I, I get it. Yeah. It's a fruitless endeavor to root for Arizona at this point. <laughs> yes. Like that, and root for Utah and Arizona State. Don't waste your time with Arizona right now. Seriously. Like they're, I, they're not going to win more than two or three games. It's fine to talk about the idea of the New Year's Six. It's not a reality to me. It's just too hard. It really is. One loss BYU. One loss is you. You maybe get it. You're, there are three at-large spots this year. Like you're gonna have to outlaw at-large another one-loss Power Five team. Now BYU's schedule is good enough to be in the conversation this year. Finally, right? It's it's super tough. I'm telling you, this team is really good. Just because I'm saying they're not going to go undefeated doesn't mean I don't think they're very good. I think BYU's awesome. Tell us what you think. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you care how the opponents play? Yeah. Do you, do you want Utah to win is what we're asking. I do! Would 17-plus be enough of a win against South Florida? The line is 23-and-a-half out of Vegas. Yes. 17-plus is enough. In Thank fact, you for went, joining me. I went on record a couple of... Uh, a week ago. Remember? I said, oh, 17-plus. We have a recorder? Hey, 17-plus. Do we have, a, like, a stenographer or whatever? What is it called? A stenographer? The, who's the person who types? Oh, is that who that is? Okay. On record. Yeah. yeah. Do we down. have one? Well, we have a is video ca- enough? We have a closed captioner. We have a closed captioner. There you go. It's close enough, right? Should we say something super weird that they have to just type right now? Well, don't make their lives a Google than they already are. Points Saturday. I expect a <laughs> gaggle of points. <laughs> Gaggle's easy to spell. <laughs> 17 plus is plenty, Jerem. Like, yeah. And we've seen a rash of like close games in college football this year with high-ranked teams. Oklahoma has struggled with Tulane and Nebraska mm-hmm. when they were 20-plus point favorites. Clemson barely beats Georgia Tech when they're a four-touchdown favorite. Six. You just got to win. You got to keep winning. At BYU, honestly, if they win by three or seven, heaven forbid it's that close, you just got to keep winning and maintain that ranking. But 17-plus would absolutely be enough in this. Yeah, one wouldn't be enough. Uh, it would be weird. Seven wouldn't be enough. That, I th- 17, here's the reason I brought up 17 in the first place. It's three scores. 
if you win by three scores, that was domination. Two sure. scores, you're like, we threw a Hail Mary on side, we got we to gotta play, right? Um, 17 would be enough. I do hope BYU covers in this because I think that's where BYU's at. But BYU's banged up a little bit, right? Tyler Algiers <clears throat> played three Power 5 games where he's yeah. had a ton of carries. Um, and then Jaron Hall, obviously, comes out of the game last week. Keenan uh, Peely is out. Will we see Keenan Ellis, question mark, tomorrow? That'd be great. Hope so. Um, that'd be awesome. Yes, I, I wonder if it's going to be an 11-point margin. Let me tell you why. Because the last three have been 8, 9, 10. Just make him one more. Just, just 11, and then you just keep going. It just keeps going up. That's not actually going to happen. Well, here's but the thing. 17-plus would be acceptable. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. USF is a better team than Arizona. Think about that. USF is a better team than Arizona. That's a that's an interesting thought because USF is uh, continue actually. Let's okay, hear, let's Arizona hear. just lost to an FCS opponent at home, Northern Arizona. USF beat FCS opponent yes. Florida A and M, yes, thirty eight seventeen. Um, like if they played head to head, I would expect USF to win by like a field goal. Mm. Okay, mm. USF I think is a better team than Arizona. Arizona's not really a power five team, kind of a power five. They won the game in Vegas against Arizona by eight. So, yeah, like, don't be surprised to see it be a 10 point victory, 14 point victory. 17 plus would be plenty against USF. If it's a two score game, honestly, I'm a little disappointed because BYU's ranked 15th, 3 0. At home. Beat two and a half power five teams. I'm going to keep making that joke the whole season. Yes, and, and BYU's at home. Yes, if it was neutral side or Tampa. Here's the other reason Timmy McClain. Is a freshman quarterback making his first road start. Good two, luck. Two time zones, freshman quarterback. Good BYU luck. should win the game by 17 Sure. Plus. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week. I'm the best of BYU Sports Nation. Welcome in once again, the voice of the Cougars, live on set, Greg Rebell, to discuss BYU potentially to a New Year's Six Bowl in 2021. We'll get there. But first, Jimmer Fredette, among others, going into the BYU Athletic Hall of Fame. Greg, what's your reaction to Jimmer uh, getting the first ballot Hall of Fame induction 10 years after the fact? Sneaks in. He just barely sneaks <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was I'm, one voter that said no. Yeah, that was an automatic, wasn't it? Yeah. It was so automatic. And everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's pretty cool because obviously he was going to get in. We just said, hey, Zach Wilson's getting in 2030. Like, <laughs> and this class is pretty good, too. Brian Banks and Kerry Roberts and just athletically, whoever, whenever someone gets into the Hall of Fame every year, I go, oh, yeah, they were awesome. It's a pretty fun thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. Yeah. Do cool. you have a favorite Jimmer Fredette memory? I think I remember going the most nuts, and I went nuts a few times, right? Um, but I think in Vegas, even though it was a neutral floor, wasn't the Marriott Center magic when he when he he, he passed Danny Ainge uh, for the scoring record and and led him over New Mexico. Um, that just kind of felt where everything just kind of just peaked and culminated, and and it was peak Jimmer, right? And, and so I I think that's one of the favorite nights. That I can recall, and there were so many great ones. And when you get to the NCAA tournament, and you're advancing there. That's a big deal too. But that, the focus on him and the numbers he was putting up, and then Danny being in the building and passing, just the whole thing, amazing. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty once in a while. It's wild that he does. He gets the single game and the career on the same play. Yeah, that was insane. Yeah. With and, and one and shot of free, free throw. throw until that point. Yeah, I mean when you're into, into the 50s, and it's a tournament game. 
I mean, it's it's a winner go home in the tournament at least situation. The retribution against New Mexico. Yeah, there was a lot yeah. going in. So that that was one where I just yeah. really remember just losing my mind. Yes, fantastic. When, when yeah. did you realize that okay, Jim Romania had begun? Because his junior year, we knew he was really good, like very good. And then he comes back. There was a chance he could leave. He came back. At what point were you like, oh my gosh, this is like another level? I felt like it was early in the next. I, I know the Glens Falls trip for me was an indication that, and granted, he was going home, mind you, but it was still a, it was a unique thing. Like, this was a, a player getting a homecoming in this college scenario that was being nationally covered, and I just kind of sensed there was something really special building, that this could be something you could really, you know, build a season story around, and, and it kind of went from there. That was yeah. the weirdest game I've ever been to. Let me tell you why, because I was at the game, too. The, the fans there only rooted for Jimmer and nothing else. There were no cheerleaders. There was no, like, kind of music pumping. It was in an old hockey venue, just, like, mm-hmm. down the street from his house. <laughs> so he would score, and anyone else would score, and it was just like, or, it was the weirdest or, game or, I've Or Vermont to. from the neighboring state would yes, score, and yes, nothing would happen. Nothing. Right. Yeah. It was so weird. Yeah. Dave Rose told me a fantastic <laughs> story last week, by the way. He said Vermont's coach approached him after the game and said, I'm still trying to figure out why all these BYU fans were in the beer lines at this hockey venue. <laughs> These are more Jimmer fans yeah. from New York than your yeah. typical yeah. BYU fans. <laughs> that was great. Great stuff. All right. Uh, yeah, we're feeling good talking Jimmer. Now it's time to discuss BYU football. 3-0, and uh, ranked number 15 in the country. And Brett McMurphy, Mark Schlebaugh, among other national writers. Hold on, i got to grab the Now starting to discuss BYU <laughs> as a potential New Year's Six uh, recipient in 2021. In fact, we're asking the question today, is this year – BYU's best shot at a New Year's Six Bowl, or is it at a later date, Greg? Well, you know, you've only been, you know, 3-0 and in consecutive years for the first time since 1951 and 52. So, this is, this, BYU's never been in this situation to be in the discussion, let's put it that way. But last year was always going to be, yes, 3-0 and or 4-0, and 5-0, 6-0, but schedule. That said, if they'd gone 12-0 and last year, you would have liked to see, you would have liked to have seen how that would have challenged the committee to, to place BYU. It might have been they were left out of the New Year's Six, but it could have been that 12-0 got them in just for the fact that they cobbled together a schedule, won every game, but Coastal will never know. This year, um, 3-0, if you get to 4-0, you're in the October discussion. Uh, yeah, it would have to be the best shot because you're not in the discussion undefeated in October ever, uh, but you would be with a better schedule with seven P5s on the slate, and there are so much to do uh, but before it becomes a truly legitimate discussion. But you know, I, I think Brett Mur- McMurphy even qualified it. He says, hey, even 11-1 BYU he thinks should get in at that point. So you're not yeah. having to go 12-0 and 0 at that point because of the number of P5s you're playing. Let's say you're in a typical P5 league. You're going to play eight or nine P5s. Yes. Okay? And BYU's probably playing... one Power 5 in non-conference. Yeah, and, and BYU's playing yeah. seven. So you're practically playing a P5 schedule. Yeah. And so there really isn't that, uh, that drawback. But it's all about staying in the conversation with the O in the L column as long as you possibly can. And it's crazy to think about, too. I mean, this is a, a, a storied football program, tremendous history, and never, ever have they been 4-0 and in back-to-back seasons. It just doesn't get that's, there. That's It insane. doesn't get there. Yeah. You know? Of all the kind of 79 to 85 run and everything, yeah. never did it, which is wild. Yeah. Um, but this team has, which is incredible. So At least 3-0. 4-0, and you know, would come Saturday, and that would be the right. first time ever. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about, okay, when BYU's in the Big 12, to your point, you're allowed a loss or two. BYU actually in the Big 12 could have two losses and still make a New Year's Six or a college football playoff if it expands. So the degree of difficulty gets actually a little lower. It's super high when you have fewer pure P5s, but – 
What, what is it about this team that you're seeing that we're all trying to figure out? It's like, what's making this team this team? What are you seeing that's different or unique about this group? Maybe the, just the, um, the multiplicity of options, perhaps, that BYU has on offense right now, beginning with the quarterback himself. He's a pretty special player. And, and not to uh, discredit the backup who proved he can come in and win a game for you. <laughs> so let's, let's just say that at quarterback, in general, they're really well set up. Yeah. But, you know, and, and we could use even the fact that, you know, Isaac Rex scores his first two touchdowns of the season in, in game three. Well, you know, that, that, that's not like, oh, BYU finally discovered the tight end again. It's a matter of the tight ends got so much attention from last year that, that you know, they weren't always open on the plays. But that means that Neil Pau is a multiple touchdown scoring guy. Gunnar Ronnie's a multiple, multiple touchdown scoring guy in the first couple of games. So they can really go so many places right now. And then Tyler Algier is just kind of the, um, you know, taken for granted going to get you the hard yards and grind into the end zone when you need it kind of guy that can also win a game for you on defense. So they have all these different, again, options. And I don't think that, you know, Aaron Roderick's offense is by anywhere uh, close to its peak, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this, is, this is still growing and learning and bringing guys along. It's going to get better and better as they get more and more chemistry together because they're, they're good right now, but they're, you know, they're, they're, they're 27, 28 points a game good. This team has the ability, I think, to be you know in the 30s points per game good when it gets really going here. And the Nakua's haven't even gotten going, honestly. Like we want, thought, yeah, Puka and Samson would be like you know right. Options. They they, they, they yeah. weren't able to really hit the ground running because they were kind of held back in camp, right? Yeah. But now, so that, that that's a process. Mm-hmm. Once they get going and really into this thing, I think it's gonna be special. The BYU defense is holding opponents in three games, all power five opponents again. To an average of under 17 points, 16 points, 66667 repeating or whatever we're going to call it. Thank you, Leroy. Okay. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, so looking at the defense, how realistic is that they can sustain that level of holding opponents to 17 or fewer? Well, I, I was just tracking it a few minutes ago and, and posted a tweet about it because I thought it was interesting. You've played three straight P5s and they're all under 17 points, 17 points or fewer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, when did we start thinking about P5? Like when did P5 become a thing? Well, you could argue early 2000s. I took it back to 1998 when the BCS started, okay? So from 98 till now, BYU had never, until the first three weeks of this season, held three straight P5s to 17 points or fewer. So it's historically good that way. Uh, if you want to go back to the end of 1983, Missouri, and the first two games of 84, Pitt and Baylor, you would technically get three current P5s that they held the 17 to 3, but the P5 didn't exist back then. Yes. Pitt was independent, Baylor was Southwest Conference. So as we know the P5, this has never happened. Where you play three straight, high-level P5 teams. You could argue caliber, right? But, you know, Arizona's struggling. But P5s are P5s. Have three straight P5s to 17 points if you never happened till this year. Mm. So they're doing a lot of things that haven't been done before by a historically really solid football program. That's awesome. And I think BYU broke through this confidence barrier last year. Yes, the schedule was different, but BYU was like, no, we're relevant as an independent. We can do this. And then getting the invite to the Big 12 and doing this now, it's just, it's just awesome. Yeah, man. one of the great things is, is that at the back half of this thing, you're already in the Big 12. Like, you are, you're not having to prove anything <laughs> to anyone anymore, really. Yes. You've already done all the heavy lifting. Now you kind of get to enjoy the fruits of your labors by showing people what you really are and are building to become. And when you get to the Big 12, you have an even greater chance to succeed yeah. in that environment. Well, BYU's uh, next display is against the team they're heavily favored against, USF, coming back to Provo. The vengeance match, as uh, several players have called it. Cougars are a 23-point favorite, but 
we know that USF's going to have some talent. So what type of challenges will they bring to BYU, even though the Cougars are on paper supposed to win by a good margin? Yeah, well, they've, they've clearly decided to throw all their you know, eggs in the freshman quarterback basket. And, and that's, that, that's great for them in terms of choosing to build. But I think it's also something that BYU can really, you know, if not tee off on, take advantage of. Um, this is a really good defense, and, and they're playing a guy that's getting his second start, and um, it's, it, it's a heavy dose of RPO, um, but this is, I mean, it's a team that's lost, what, 14 straight FBS games, yeah. all right? So it's a take-care-of-business kind of game for BYU, and the Cougs don't, you know, it's rare that BYU would play an opponent multiple times and not pick up a win. Um, very few teams have done that to BYU, and I don't think BYU is about to go 0-2 against USF. Um, you know, that said, you, you, you've got to play better than you did last week. You simply have to have that be your objective. Uh, and not, not, there's nothing to worry about. I think, I think offense, defense, and special teams can all show you that there are standouts on this USF team. But as, as a collective, BYU's just got to go out and put a little bit of a hammer down. And hey, Jimmer at halftime. Yeah, Jimmer at halftime. He is Greg Rebell, the voice of the Cougars. Thanks for hanging out with us. I hope there are moments this season that make you lose your mind as it relates to BYU football. Well, there, you know, we, we've gotten there. Hey, Utah game. Uh, hey, there you go. Good. You know, there, there were probably a couple there. And, and last week, even though it was a different vibe, uh, the way the crowd helped win that game, I thought was pretty special as well. Fantastic. Thanks for hanging out with Greg. Back, guys. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Linebacker Peyton Wilgar is one of the Cougars' top playmakers, and he is poised for an NFL career. His journey began in southern Utah, where family played a prominent role in his life as his heart grew to be as big as his game. This is Deep Blue featuring Peyton Wilgar, presented by Brady Industries, Simply Better. One time he was in the car with his mom and his little sister. We were taking the back roads through a little town called Summit. And and my mom was like, it was weird because she was like completely normal. Like she could, she could talk. I was kind of at a bad spot in my life. And I had just, I don't even know what I took. I had taken a bunch of pills and... The next thing I knew, it, I had lost all control. So I knew that I needed to stop the van and, and get out to protect them. So she pulled over at, like, the first exit in Summit, and, we, and she's just like, let me walk around. And we got out, and we started walking around into, like, this little riverbed, and she just collapsed right there. And, I mean, I was probably in, like, first grade we were little we didn't know what to do we kind of just my mom I, I don't know I can't even really explain what was going on but she collapsed right there in the riverbed Peyton and McKaylee walked to a neighbor's house to call their grandpa and so that they could get a ride but I remember just watching those two little kids run so fast to get help from mom so he's definitely seen some things that no kid should have to see growing up uh, both of our parents are recovering drug addicts I talked Misty into coming to my side and and we were together uh, in a bad place for about 15 years so some people will look at it as a negative but i always looked at it as a positive like i am so grateful for the way i grew up 
as and as well as those stories, even though they were rough points. But like, just being independent, you know, like being able to to know that I'm gonna be okay through some hard times. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade my parents for anything in the world because they taught us all the right things, and they always loved us. But I think Peyton. You know, see the things, the choices that someone can make in their life can determine, you know, their destiny. And uh, Peyton, I feel like, has just taken every trial and the adversity that's been placed before him and used it to his benefit to stay focused and to stay dedicated to, to his dream. I heard like maybe roll call in a class or something. They said Peyton Wilgar, and I remember like looking over. And I was like, oh. and instantly I was like, oh no, <laughs> I've been smitten for him since. We've been together since eighth grade, and we've really she's been by my side through everything. You know, through my family issues, through college, she's she's never left me through all the hardships. You know, as young as they were, see some of the things they do. Um, it's pretty impressive for for their age, you know. I mean, they've they've taken in some of my grandkids. So a few months into our marriage, Peyton's brother's kids were taken by the state because he was in and out of jail. My oldest brother, you know, and and, and his wife were just going, you know, through some struggles, some tough times. And my little brother Peyton and his wife Chrissy, you know, stepped up to, to take the kids in for a little while. You know, and it's it's pretty crucial years for him, you know, but they took that, I don't know if you can say burden, but, you know, they really opened their door. We didn't want the kids with anyone other than family. At one point they were, I think, in a random person's home, and I would FaceTime them, and it was just so heartbreaking seeing those kids you know just confused they had no idea what was going on and I have this one song that I still think about it's called don't give up on me and I listen to that song every single day thinking about those kids I wasn't going to give up on them I remember that first night we just we, we finally got them to bed after them just crying for hours. And we put them in our room, and because we were so petrified to wake them up again, we both slept in the front room together. And we just sat there and we cried, like, what did we get ourselves into? Like, we thought it was going to be, like, so fun being aunt and uncle, having our little nieces and nephews around. But, like, when you switch into that parent role, I don't think anyone really understands how hard it is to to bathe them and feed them and clothe them and give them 100% of your attention all day. And so it was it was definitely an experience that I'm so grateful for, but it was extremely hard. So many players could have used um, everything going on in their lives, like Peyton has, as reasons to miss a practice occasionally, to leave early from a weight training session or, or show up late to a meeting. And you just don't have that with Peyton. Just shows a lot about who he is, you know, and, and his wife, Chrissy, as well. They're just great people. Our nieces and nephews have had similar struggles and trials as we did as kids, and you know, I think Peyton just wants to to make sure that they know that they're loved and put them in a situation to best succeed. Yeah, even though they do all struggle with addiction, there's nothing but love in this family, and 
at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I don't think he realizes the powerful son, brother, friend that he is. You know, he's always been a little bit hard on himself, and he's definitely a light. And he, I just, I just want him to love love this year you know play every game like it's your last game this only happens once in a lifetime and before you know it you turn around and you're old so you know what take advantage of what you have now and love every minute of it and go out there and have fun i just think that the future is very bright for peyton deep blue with Peyton Wilgar, wow, what a story. And whether you're going to the game on Saturday or watching it at your house, there's going to be opportunities to cheer for Peyton Wilgar. There always is in a game with BYU football, and maybe after watching that or hearing that, you maybe you cheer a little louder. Yeah. That story is remarkable. Definitely, man. I mean, um, I would say I would say he's, he's probably moved up a couple of spots of, uh, you know, my favorite – you know, BYU player. It was it was Taysom, but Taysom has some, some competition to to <laughs> to to be um, you know in that situation and to to have sacrifice and and to see that you know these you know other people um, you know matter more than what I'm going through. Like that's uh, that's a special it takes a, a special person to to do that. Um, and uh, then you throw in on top of that, you know, his, his normal daily duties right. as, as, his, you know, athletic student. So yeah, I mean, big, big props to him. And that was done good. I, I tried to not cry like 20 times, man. Like, <laughs> like up. Oh my gosh. Uh, but yeah, good, great story. It's a fant- story. fantastic story. And um, I, I think I say this after all of these, there, there's so many aspects of these stories that I was not aware of. And I'm so glad that we do this feature, because I think it really does. We, we always hear, you know, the, they're, they're, they're more than just the player you see on the field. And right. I think this embodies exactly what, what that's talking about, yeah. that you just never know. It's not just what you see in, you know, a guy that can, is, can run fast or, you know, make all the tackles or catch touchdowns. It's, it's the stuff that we don't know about them that makes them great. And uh, that is a perfect example of it right there. Amen to that. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. The New Year's Six. Here we are once again following BYU's 11-1 campaign in 2020 with Zach Wilson and those five draft picks, ton of NFL guys that flirted for a moment, we thought, with the New Year's Six. Until they didn't, Jerem, and the yep. committee said, nope, BYU's not the team that's going to get in. However, BYU's schedule, you may have noticed, is much tougher They have three Power 5 victories in three games played in 2021. Now national writers are again bringing up the New Year's Six, specifically from Brett McMurphy. And I quote, "Uh, Look at the remainder of the BYU Cougars schedule. And there's a possibility of an 11-0 BYU 
visiting USC in the regular season finale. If so, win or lose versus USC, I'm projecting the Cougars earn a New Year's Six bowl bid. End quote. There's a lot there, Jerem. So I ask you this. Is this BYU's best chance ever at a New Year's Six bowl? It might be because BYU is playing seven power fives. Once BYU is in the Big 12 starting in 2023, the Cougars will play eight or nine or maybe ten because if BYU plays Utah every year plus let's say the Big 12 says, yeah, we're playing nine conference games, then it'd be ten almost every year, right? Um, and there, then there's – I just don't see uh, a season where BYU is going to put together an 84-type thing. 84 is 84 because Pitt's 3-7-1 and one, and Michigan's 6-6 six and six, um, in the end. You know what I mean? Like if the 84 team played uh, the, the Big 12 schedules, it would, it would win one, two, uh, lose one, two, or three games, right? It's going to be much harder. So I wonder if this is because this first half of the season has been set up to where BYU can – realistically, have a legit chance of going 6-0. and The back six is going to be tougher, like we've talked about the last couple of days, with four power fives, three on the road. In the Big 12, I think it will be a tougher power five slate than what BYU is playing this year. There aren't as many Washington States and Virginias and uh, so on and so forth, right? Um, it's, there's more USC's, if you will, when BYU's in the Pac-12. So I, I think that this might be BYU's best shot at a New Year's Six Bowl ever. Ever. Uh, granted, in a Big 12, if BYU has two losses, still might have a shot at okay. a New Year's Six. Now, okay. that might be the difference. I do expect BYU to be a better team in the next couple of years in the Big 12 as well, meaning the backups are better. The starters have never been in question here. It's can the backups be good enough? When a Keenan Peely goes down, can Ben Bywater be good enough? That's the question we're going to figure out the rest of the season. It's easy to say in the moment right now because BYU's 3-0 and the juju is really good. Everybody's feeling awesome. Arizona, Utah, Arizona State all go down. So, yeah, it's like, oh, man, maybe this is the best chance. But as you pointed out, getting into the Big 12, a two-loss BYU team could still play in a New Year's Six Bowl game, especially if they go to the Big 12 championship game and the winner of that game is invited to the college football playoff. Then by default... The runner-up in the Big 12 gets a New Year's Six Bowl game invite. In fact, you could, might be, even be you, another could be a, large. you could be a three-loss team and play in the championship game. And with the rules as they are, it's like, oh, yeah, like nine and three. Yeah, you can play in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, three-loss would mean you probably had two losses in non-con, but you only had zero or one loss in league. Right. Most years, right? So I think mathematically speaking, when you get into the Big 12, just because of those exceptions, BYU's probably going to have – a little bit better of a chance to get into a New Year's Six Bowl game because there will be more leeway to lose. There's more understanding if you're in a Power Five conference. Like, oh, yeah, well, but look at the schedule. schedule. They lost to number six Iowa State twice, once in the regular season and once in the Big 12 championship. Iowa State's going to play in the college football playoff or TCU or Baylor or whoever. in the multiverse? I was like, Iowa State or whoever, (laughs) whoever. Uh, But BYU's done enough as the runner-up to get into a New Year's Six game. We saw this happen yeah. with Virginia and Bronco Mendenhall when Clemson was dominant in the ACC. Virginia gets blown out in the ACC championship game, but it's like, well, Clemson's going to the college football playoffs, so yeah. the ACC's going to have their spot. Hopefully, um, <laughs> because the ACC kind of stinks besides Clemson. Right. Is, I don't think the Big 12 – honestly, you take Clemson out of the ACC, 
Is the, the Big 12 the new better? new Big 12's way better. Is the Big 12 better than that? Yes. I don't think the Big 12 is going to have any dominant teams like Clemson or Alabama anytime soon. In fact, it may not have a college football playoff team for a while. Yeah. Um, but it will have, uh, you know, four top 25 teams or whatever or, or more in it. I think, uh, you know, top to bottom minus Kansas, those games are good to super hard every week. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And, again – we talked to our or heard from our boy Paul Saban, who works for ESPN Analytics. He's giving BYU a one percent chance to run the table. Yeah, I, I don't think BYU's running the table. Like it's going to be way too hard. And even an eleven and one BYU, Brett McMurphy brought up, hey, eleven and zero going to USC, win or lose, I'm still putting him in a game. Like I don't that's know maybe if you can a, lose the last game and f- yeah, it's tough, right? Okay, even eleven and zero. What's the chances of that? Three or four <laughs> percent? Not high. Mathematically? Yeah. yeah not so high. it's, it's going to be – so that's why and I that's like okay. the, the Big 12. Uh, yes. I think that there's just a better opportunity there. Yes. Um, yes. 11-1 and one is a really interesting conversation there. Okay, topic two. The BYU Athletics Hall of Fame inductees are out, as we mentioned. For those interested, here's the criteria used. Minimum two years in a varsity sport. There's no JV anymore, right? <laughs> uh, All-American status. University graduation. That was a Jim McMahon thing. He didn't graduate until late. Professional accomplishments. Uh, community service. Sportsmanship. What if they're like, you didn't make it in, you were a bad sport. And 10 years since final year of eligibility. That's why Jimmer Fredette's in now and not earlier. Uh, Matthew Delvadova and St. Mary's, they inducted him the next year. They don't have as tough a criteria as BYU. Should there be a Jimmer exception? Should he have been inducted earlier than now? Yeah, maybe. I mean, may- maybe the 10 years becomes a five-year thing. I don't know. I'm not sure why they settled on 10 years. Maybe it's they're waiting for their pro career to finish. Yeah, perhaps. Maybe. It's just like, oh, let them go do their thing professionally for yeah. a decade. Jimmer's still going. He's still playing we don't basketball know. We in, don't, in China. Re- reports that he's going to China, right? right? Yeah. It's not confirmed. Maybe I'll ask him on Friday. Yeah, yeah. Let's hey, find Jimmer, out from, from the podium. Um, what's the deal, man? Are you you're going, going to, play to China, in China or what? And then, just, and then just call me. He's joining us Monday, by the way. Okay. Yeah. We can ask him then, too. He'd, he'd, be, he'd join us Friday. He's got a golf tournament. I, I, I get where Charity. you're coming from with the Jimmer exception. Like when someone is so transcendent and yeah. so good. If you're the national player and, of the year, yes. can we just do like the next year? Like, okay, it's official. You're, it's your junior year. You're at BYU. You, like, can we just put Zach Wilson in now? At least make the <laughs> announcement. Uh, Zach Wilson will be inducted into the BYU Athletic Hall of Fame in 2030. It's official. <laughs> you just call it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so we, we can say that now. They can still keep their 10 years. We can years. literally yeah. say that now. He, that's that going will to happen. happen. Yes. So maybe we don't need an exception. We just call it for what it is. Well, I, yeah. Zach, good luck in the I, NFL for 10 years. We'll see you in 2030 for the be, BYU Athletic Hall of Fame. Is it because they're literally busy? Is maybe. that why? Maybe. I, I would uh, also, All-American status. I have a problem with this. I, I like was Fred Warner an All American? I don't think he was. So, but Fred Warner was All Pro last year. He should be in the. Is it only they take into consideration professional accomplishments, right? Maybe they'll find a Lindy I, Sports preseason All American <laughs> exception. Should we give him an All American yeah. nod hey, from twenty? Yeah, BYU Sports Nation All American Fred Warner. Okay, he's good for the Hall of Fame. And this is good criteria. I I just want to think like, are we going to be able to include a Fred Warner because yeah. he's. His NFL career is way better than his BYU career. Are, are, are we taking that into account? Like, Ver, you know, Virgil Carter got and does in. Does Daniel Sorensen get into the BYU Athletic Hall of Fame? Right. He's won a couple I, of – or he's was, been to a couple of Super Bowls. Was he's not won. an All-American, I no, think, he wasn't. at BYU. So, yeah, th- those are the interesting debates, right? Interesting. Is he in the Hall of Good or the Hall of Fame? Yeah, and I know Daniel's in a different – Area than Fred Warner. He's, I mean, Fred Warner might be the best linebacker. He's in, in he's in the white safety hall of fame <laughs> with Eric Weddle. <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> Jason Seahorn's like, I'm a corner. Can I be in? Our question of the day. <laughs> is this year, 2021, BYU football's best shot at a New Year Six bowl game? You heard our opinions. We want to hear yours. Let's go to Voice of the Nation. This is the Voice of the Nation on BYU Sports Nation. At Playoff Bogey answers, best shot to date? Yes. Best shot forever? No. The Big 12 will make a difference. And with the college football playoff expanding, it might be easier to get the college football playoff as an at-large than it is to get to the New Year's Six right now. I don't know. Because of, oh, yeah, I understand. Because you don't have the conference affiliation. There would be more. Yeah. They, like certain years, it's weird when the playoffs and certain bowl games and certain uh, leagues get there in. There are always whatnot. tie-ins for like the Like this year, there's, what, three or four at-larges? Yeah. Correct. But, but depending on what they decide, and they still haven't decided, by the way, if they go to eight or they go to 12, whatever. If it's 12, if there's automatic bids, blah, blah, blah. If there's not. The alliance is pushing back. The Pac-12, the ACC. And the Big Ten are pushing back on a 12-team playoff. Yeah, the SEC is like, uh, we want to get like five teams in. Yeah, the so. SEC is like, we will do what we want to do, and they probably will. NFL too? You mean NFL too? The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Time to go behind the play that sealed the game for BYU against Arizona State in the film room, Jerem, with Isaac Rex. Okay, Isaac, first off, the elk. Shout out to Jeff Hansen for the shirt and the nickname. Tell me the story here. What's what's the story? I've probably told this story like 50 times. And the story has, I don't know how it got. (laughs) I literally have no idea how it became a thing. Uh, Jeff Hansen made the nickname the elk because I guess I run like an elk or something. I really only heard of, I knew what an elk was, but I've only seen deers. I've never even seen an elk. I kind of, I like it though. I'm, I'm obviously going to keep it. I'm not opposed to it at all. So. Okay, first two touchdowns of the season. Walk me through the first one. This is just a fun little play. I'm trying to sneak in. You but, literally sneak. Like you get down uh, low right here. <laughs> I assume that backer right there had me man because it's man all around there's a four eye right there inside of me so i just kind of snuck right past him and if you look right here the person who makes the play is mason wake he's kind of just like blocking for jaron and look he pushed that guy out and gets that guy on the ground without that block right there jaron might have uh, been sacked so mason did his job perfectly and then i kind of did a little McGregor walk. With, I was gonna say that's with McGregor, Samson yeah. and and Neil coming around. So okay, your second touchdown is the game sealer, and this is a heck of a moment because Baylor Romney's in. Jaron Hall gets hurt, yep. and Fessy Sataki reveals after the game he told Baylor only throw it if he's open. <laughs> hey, you weren't exactly open, but I would argue uh, just throw it up to you. Yes, you are open. Yeah, I mean, I knew the corner was gonna have me man, and then I see twenty five. He obviously has outside leverage on me, and so if you see Baylor, he obviously trips a little. There's <laughs> linemen falling everywhere, and then right there, if you see the corner, he kind of bites outside, and I was able to just kind of sneak past him and um, go up and get it, but credit to Baylor. He threw a great ball on that. Okay, and then I want you to break down Tyler Algiers' play here because this yep. is one of the greatest plays in BYU football history. What did you see? Jaron's faking the run, but there's a guy off the edge, so it's not the best fake. And so right here, the backer kind of jams me up. 
Uh, Mason kind of gets jammed up a little, he cuts inside. We knew Tyler was faster, but right here, right when you saw that hand wind up, like comes in and just boom, literally jumps right on top of his back, a perfect tackle. And if Jaron didn't hustle down there, that corner or safety would have gotten it and they would have the ball on the 15. So Tyler Algier definitely had the play of the game. It's not the fact that he caught up to him because obviously he's way faster. It's the fact that he um, had the awareness to punch the ball out. He basically won the game for us. So Incredible Super play. Super awesome. Okay, 3-0, South Florida coming to Provo. Yep. 15th in the country. What's the vibe of the team right now as you guys have had an incredible start to the season? I mean, we beat three Pac-12 teams in a row, which is a great accomplishment for BYU, but we're not done yet. We're still uh, we're confident, but we're humble, and we're going to keep working hard and keep this thing going. Okay, stay in that elk mode, man. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> in the film room with Jerem Jordan. Fantastic Elk mode, stuff. man. It'll get you. Yeah, can he do the sound? Probably not. Doubt it. We're working on that. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear. And catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio.